Hi, and welcome to the Changes Ahead podcast. Giving space to the often unheard questions, doubts, hopes, and challenges facing the church in Aotearoa, New Zealand. I'm Stephen. And I'm Kathy, and we invite you to join us as we imagine the changes ahead. One of the things I really valued about this conversation with Jamie as we engaged with some of the contents of the Pathfinding Report was her invitation to us and the mm. invitation that the report itself gives mm. to turn the spotlight back on ourselves, to look at what we need to see and hear what we need to hear. And you'll hear me at the end get caught by surprise and I end up interrupting Jamie because it was something that I really needed to hear. And there is so much gold in the conversation around who do we aspire to be? So let's listen in. Jamie, thank you so much for making some time to to be with us and to have a conversation about this really important topic. And we're really grateful for the the way that you have put your voice out there. Um, we'll hear a bit more about that and for the your ability to, to question, but also invite us to reflect on ourselves. So we're so looking forward to this conversation today. So welcome and kia ora. Great. Yeah. Kia ora, kia ora. It's great to be here. Well, perhaps to, to begin, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit to our, our listeners? What does it mean to be Jamie? Yeah. Ko Ngu Vatevek, Poku Awa, Ko Stranto Haire, Poku Tatahi, Ko North Sea, Poku Moana, Ko Fiercy, Poku Waka, Ko Tatimana, Poku Iwi, Ko Van Heimeren, Poku Fano, No Ingarangi, Me Airana, Me Horana, Me Hamene, Me Penimaka, Oku Tupuna. I tai mai pōkifano ki Aotearoa i te tau ko Tahimano e Iwarau e Rima te Kaumarua, nohu ai ki Whanganui. Nā tēnei, kei te mehia hau ki ngā kaitiaki o te whenua rā ko Ngāti hau. Ko Tāmiki Makaurau tōku wāhi kainga. Ko Karen, rāua ko Alwyn o Kumatua. Ko Jamie Van Cameron tōku ingoa. Nō reira, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou, tēnā koutou katoa. Uh, so a little bit about me. Uh, my family uh, is from a range of places in Europe, from England, Ireland, uh, the Netherlands, Denmark, and Germany. Uh, all of my, my tūpuna, my ancestors, had arrived in Aotearoa by 1952. So my grandfather was the last to come here. Uh, and they settled kind of around the Whanganui area. So uh, that's where I kind of come from in New Zealand, although I was born in Tauranga and then have lived in Tamaki Makoro for most of my life. What does it mean to be me? That's, uh, that's a really good question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it is, isn't it? <laughs> Fun way of wording the question. I think for me, a lot of it comes down to relationship. Mm. So I'm a Pākehā female theologian, uh, and I'm so grateful that I get to identify myself like that. Uh, that's a relational way of identifying myself as someone who is grounded in Aotearoa and in doing this work in Aotearoa. So I'm a PhD student and I get to learn from and engage with a huge range of voices. Uh, I think of it as the great cloud of Christian witnesses that I get to talk to. Mm. Though so many of them aren't around, aren't alive anymore. For me to hear their voices through their writing is so special. I'm also a council member, which is kind of our form of eldership at Cityside Baptist in um, Mount Eden. And so that's a beautiful community and I'm so grateful to be able to worship and serve there. I also 
get the great privilege of co-editing Metanoia with a wonderful team who I love and I'm so grateful to be able to spend this time with them curating conversations and sharing some of our thoughts uh, around the church in Aotearoa. So that's a little bit of a shout out to, to my team. It's Andrew Clark Howard, Pimotun Nolivo, Rebecca Hooper, Rosie Fleming, and, and then also all of our fantastic contributors who, Stephen, you're, you're one of. So uh, we're so, so grateful to those that contribute. Alongside that, I also co-chair Baptist Research with Andrew Clark Howard and get to participate in the of co-papa of research and history for Baptists in Aotearoa. Then within my family, I'm a granddaughter, a daughter, a sister, uh, and an auntie, as well as an inheritor of so many of what my ancestors have, have given to me. Wow. Yeah, what a beautiful way to introduce yourself. And I just, I love the relational side of it. That's just, yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. Yes, and you've mentioned uh, metanoia, and mm. that's how we've kind of connected for today's um, conversation. Last week, you um, or a, an article you wrote was published reflecting on the uh, you, did you call it the ninety two theses. Um, the ninety two theses. I I couldn't miss the opportunity to make a Martin Luther joke, yes. even if I was the only one who got it. <laughs> I kind of I wish that they'd done three more recommendations. Yeah, but- <laughs> I'm sure they could have got there. Would you tell us a little bit about perhaps um, what prompted you to write the the article? And um, yeah, obviously people can can read it, but we'll, we'll talk a bit about what what you've said and and um, yeah, how that might impact the way we each look at church. Yeah, so I guess firstly, Metanoia is an online platform which engages in issues of contemporary life and Christian faith in Aotearoa. and so we've Andrew Clark Howard and I started this kind of mid-2020, because uh, a global pandemic is the best time to start something new. (laughs) It's been a real privilege uh, for us to have this platform and to engage with so many different people. Uh, This year has been pretty big for us with what's happened with Arise. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you're listening and you don't know anything about Arise, you've somehow missed all of the goings-on and about... I think just at at the beginning of this year, a New Zealand journalist, he's not a Christian, uh, David Farrier, started to share some of the stories that he was hearing from people who were connected to Arise Church, which is in Wellington. Coming out of that in mid-April, the church commissioned an independent review into the church. Uh, So this review which was started by an organization called Pathfinding, was commissioned to hear stories from people who were either still at a rise or had been at a rise in the past. They received 545 complete submissions, which is a lot. Uh, And I think over 300 of them are from people who are still at the church, which I think is really important to highlight as well. This isn't just a bunch of people who have left and are kind of disgruntled. These are people who are within the church and are wanting to seek change within that environment still. That review was supposed to go public in June. Yep. It did not. And we all kind of waited on tenterhooks for what was going to happen uh, after some legal plan. Uh, finally, David Ferry actually received the report, the report as well as a number of other news media outlets received the report and made it public last week. Uh, so kind of a bit of legal risk for them, uh, but we're really grateful that we're able to read it and now it is legal to publish it and share it. Um, so 
The David Barrier version of the report is the most up-to-date one. The other media outlets received one that's kind of from June. Uh, so the David Barrier one has a bit more detail than those other ones do. And so you 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 wrote about it and you um, highlighted some of the, the the points that stood out to you. Uh, but you got you start your your article with a, an image which we thought was really quite clever and but significant as well. So can you tell us that for, for those who haven't read the article, what was it like for you? Yeah, what was the analogy you used to, to read the as you read the report? For me, there's been this feeling of, I think it's been easy for a lot of us to fall into this, this voyeuristic feeling of yeah. watching something happen at a distance. Yes. And I don't have connections to arise. And it was the sense of, um, checking in to see what the updates were, kind of hoping, well, what's what's the next big drama going to be? Mm-hmm. Because it doesn't affect me. Mm-hmm. And I kind of likened it to watching like a planned demolition of a building. So you know something's going to happen. You know it's going to be this big explosion. Um, but you also know that it's not about you. It's you just get to sit and watch it happen to someone else. And yeah, like so I, I wrote, there's, there's almost this sadistic glee in it, I think. Mm-hmm. That's how I felt this year. And I I absolutely say I've been part of it myself, Uh, that voyeurism, watching what's happening to someone else and being a little bit bit grateful that it's happening because I guess there's a bit of spite in there maybe as well. Um, But I think reading the report uh, when when it came out last week and just going through people's stories and realizing this is not a crisis facing one church in mm. Aotearoa. This is not an arise problem. Mm. It's actually a problem for all of us in Aotearoa mm. to be thinking through as Christians. What are we doing as a church? Yes. And, and what are we, how are we going to respond to this report? Because yes. it's not just about arise. No. It's really important as well as, as we kind of begin this conversation that um, we want to acknowledge that we do not want to be ripping on on a rise. This is not about kind of a tear them down or anything like that. Um, we we I think your invitation in, in the article, Jamie, is to to shine the light on ourselves, and I think mm-hmm. that's that's the really important thing. And because yeah, it's it's more than as you've just said, just one church. Mm. And I want to echo that too. I think when I read it, you know, it's this idea that it's so easy to point the finger. Mm. and to see where the problem is and and to see where the fault is. It's so much harder to turn that spotlight and shine it in on ourselves and to be aware of our own blind spots. And I suppose as part of this conversation, that's what we're kind of asking. How do we shine it inwards? And how do we have, I want to say, a spirit of humility to say, what haven't we seen? And what do we need to see? And so, yeah, that's what we want to explore as we talk to you. Mm. So in terms of turning that spotlight inwards to us, what are some of the things that you think we need to be looking at? What what have stood out for you? Mm. So I think there's there's kind of two ways to take it. I, I think there's some really practical stuff that we can learn from the Pathfinding Report. I think there's stuff around like governance and are we adhering to health and safety legislation, which hmm. I think a lot of churches can pretty comfortably say that we're not often doing the best at those those legal compliance things. How are we, How what, what's our accountability? Have we got good complaint and re- reporting structures? So there's some really practical stuff like that. Hmm. I think there's also culture issues hmm. that, that this report's probably even more helpful for addressing, mm. uh, although they're a bit more difficult to address than the practical governance stuff. 
the culture issues require us to ask some pretty big questions about our churches. Mm -hmm. I think the 92 recommendations in the report give us a great starting point. They give us a jumping off point for asking questions. Uh, So I think one, one recommendation that stuck out to me is about staff knowing that Sundays are work days for them if they're at the service to work. And you might just go, oh, like, don't all church staff know that? Isn't that just Mm. normal? And maybe at your church it is, but it's then taking the moment to think, well, what's the culture behind that? And are we part of that culture? Are we part of a culture that overworks our staff members and doesn't treat them with enough respect to, to give them the rest that they need so that they can serve our community? How are we envisioning their work in our place? Mm. Uh, so those are, like, I think those culture issues, we kind of have to almost get behind the recommendation to the issue that the recommendation is addressing. Mm. I think overall, though, what this report shows is that our ideal church is broken. Mm. Uh, the, the church in Aotearoa has been really caught up in this language of decline. Like, while the church is in decline, what are we going to do? How, how do we deal with this crisis for the church? When we're talking about decline there, we're talking about numbers. We're saying, well, there's less people coming to church. So what do we do? It's a crisis. We've got to deal with this. That means that a church like Arise, which is a big church, lots of people coming through the door, becomes something to aspire to. Mm. It becomes this church that is succeeding where the rest of us are failing. So how do we then deal with the fact that they've actually failed people? They've not been succeeding in the way that we think they've been succeeding. Yeah, there's more people coming through their doors. But is that really an ideal that we want to aspire to? To change that ideal is a really challenging thing. Mm. And it's it's hard for them to engage with that, but it's also really hard for us to engage with that as kind of the churches who would not arise to say, maybe that's Maybe that doesn't work. Maybe that's not what we need to be building towards. Mm. Maybe we need to shift our focus somewhere else. Mm. That's really confronting, this Mm. idea of what we're aspiring to. And this model of success is simply, well, it can be viewed as the numbers. Yeah. And I think that is something that is also in our culture in general. We love to look at the people we say um, are successful when there is large numbers, lots of followers. Um, and and we do look up to that. Mm. I think we've really lost the sense of what the church is. Mm. And I, yeah, I was just talking to a friend this morning about this, the language of ecclesiology, which you probably don't hear a lot in your church. <laughs> um, but we think about ecclesiology, which is the study of the church. So ology is the study of something. Ecclesia is the church. So ecclesiology, the study of the church. <laughs> our, our language in ecclesiology is, being rather than doing Mm. so how are are we focusing on what the church is what the church is being not what the church is doing which is a really functional language Mm. when i hear people talk about the church they're generally talking functionally what Mm. does the church do doing Mm. how how often do you hear people talk about what the church is being Mm. It's a very different frame, but i think it's really important that we start to shift that and think about our being not our doing and, and what you're suggesting too is, you know, changing the, the question and the, and the language you, we use because I think what we're asking is, is who do we want to be to each other? Mm. And that's that being question. 
Yeah. And and if we're asking that question, then we will shape it differently. Yeah. Well, I think it, it changes what we do when mm. we meet as well. Mm. It changes the point of meeting. Mm. Because if your focus is on doing, your mm. focus is on that functional element. Yes. Then you're thinking about, well, how do I get enough people onto my music team? How do mm. I get an MC? How do I get someone to do a great sermon? Because mm. it's about doing I mean, yes. how do i get the people in so that we can do this do thing it. create this product and then send our product out so that people find out about jesus through our product mm. instead of saying well no how do we be together mm. for me the church it's the gathered community it's mm. the collectively we're the body of christ mm. we're bound by the spirit that's where the language has to focus on our mm. on our gathering on that collective nature of being christian that's the church. That's the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. And that, that has to be our focal point, not the outputs that we've got or the product mm-hmm. that we're sharing. Mm-hmm. We don't meet on a Sunday morning or whatever time you meet, a Sunday afternoon, a Wednesday mm-hmm. night. We don't do that just for fun. The spirit is doing something in our gathering. Mm-hmm. There is a purpose to gathering together. If, if it's not about that for you, if it's about meeting with some people and having a good time then you know like join a rugby club there's there's other ways that you can do that (laughs) yeah the church is bound by the spirit and that matters there's Mm. something that happens there it's not something that we can do away with Mm. but it's something that we need to refocus on as well we need to know what that is we need to Mm. know why we gather Mm. and do you have yeah for for you how, how would you answer that question yeah I, I think for me, it comes down to being the body of Christ. Yeah. That's, that is what the church is. That's mm. what we're supposed to do. Uh, it's well, not, not what we're supposed to do. It's what we're supposed to be. <laughs> um, I think sometimes, it, and I know um, I felt this in the past as well, it feels like church is kind of a bunch of like-ish faith people who stand mm. next to each other and we sing some songs next to each other, not really with each other, just next to each other. Mm. We listen to someone talk, not really together. We just mm. listen to talk. Jesus isn't prescriptive about what the church is supposed to be. He's, there's not a lot of information that he gives to the disciples about what they're supposed to do, but he gives them one thing, which is that they need to break bread together. Mm. That's what Jesus asks us to do when we gather is break this bread together mm. and remember me. He is at the heart of our gathering. Mm. It's the gathered body of Christ. We're not a gathered community that likes Christ. <laughs> We're the gathered body of Christ. Mm. That is what is central to our being the church. And that's where our focus has to be. It's, uh, it's the scandal of the church mm. that we're the body of Christ. It's ridiculous. We're a bunch of broken people that don't often do great things <laughs> and even in that gathering can hurt people yes. but at its best mm-hmm. we're the gathered body of christ in this world there's no when jesus comes back w- will he like us it's like well no jesus is alive jesus is, <laughs> jesus is here in our gathering it's not some future hope of Maybe Jesus will like us in the future. No, Jesus is here now, mm. and we need to take that seriously and to hold that really seriously. Mm. And so that then, the, the focus on who Jesus is presented to be in the Gospels 
I wonder if we've in some ways lost that by yeah. by focusing a little too much perhaps on yeah bless him but Paul yeah. right? like um, yeah, yeah they, they, we focus we, we I wonder if there's an approach of we, well we kind of know the stories of Jesus so we'll, we'll focus on the the doctrine that's being developed in the latter New, New Testament or and and yet we don't it's harder it's, it's not poss- impossible but it's harder to get to know who Jesus was uh, through through some of those epistles I can hear what you're saying I yeah like I think I don't think it's fair to say that this is not Paul's focus either. Um, yeah, yeah is, good point. Yeah. Um, Paul's Paul's pretty clear that we're the body of Christ. Yes. And when he's talking to the church, when yep. he writes his letters to the church, he is writing those letters to the church and encouraging them on the fact that they are the gathered body of Christ. Don't stop meeting together, as some are doing, because we need to meet together to gather to encourage one another. Mm. That's that's at the heart of what a Paul is encouraging. I think where we have got lost is we've we've gotten confused with evangelism. For what well, what do we do then? Because we're supposed to be talking to people, aren't we? Aren't we supposed mm. to be bringing people in? And it gets really confusing because we don't know then if there's is there a difference between us being the, the gathered body of Christ and us being evangelistic. Wow. I'm, I'm I'm weary on this. Yeah. That, I think there is a difference and uh, the church and and the West in the last hundred years has been really caught up in being seeker sensitive. So how can we be seeker sensitive on a Sunday? How can we make sure that this is a space that people can come into and find Christ? Maybe that's not being the church. Maybe that's being a big tent revival. That's not to say that those big tent revivals can't have some impact and can't be a place where people find Christ. But I don't think that's the church. I think that's that's evangelism. That's what then allows people to get connected to those churches, to those gathered bodies. And so the church, if people are coming through, however it is, whether it's some sort of revival or whatever, uh, if the church isn't then in our being, forming those people um, and forming, but also being formed by those people as well, right? As, as we, we are becoming more shaped into Christ-likeness, then that's, yeah, that's, that's where I think if I look at, at some of the communities that I've been involved in, that's, that's really easy to see how the, the being, the formation side of things isn't, hasn't been the focus. And that's a really helpful distinction you've made, I think, mm-hmm. there between sort of the evangelistic task or event uh, and the being the church. Yeah, and maybe that evangelistic task can happen alongside the community. I don't think it's necessarily yes. this huge integration, um, but I think we need to remember that our task isn't just to do kind of the big flashy messages and bring people in. Mm. Our task is really to have that community and to be the body of Christ. Mm. And and we've always talked about um, if we don't do that part well, and it's still messy because, you know, human relationships are always messy yeah. and uh, and we're going to need a lot of grace and, and patience with each other. But if we don't do it well, we've always said, well, what are we inviting people into? Yeah. And, yeah. and do we actually really want to invite them in yeah. when, when we don't know how to love well or give space to difference and give space to questions and give space to the things that we're not sure about? And um, we, want, we want a place that we want to invite people into. Yeah, I think something that um, really comes out of this pathfinding review for me 
is that need for humility and the ability to be able to listen and accept that there are changes that we have to make. And I think the ability to have that humility can start with being the church. If our focus is on doing, it's a lot harder to have the humility because it's all about our outputs and our kind of big projects that we're engaged in. But if our focus is on being, then it's, it's what you're saying, Kathy, it's those relationships and, and knowing one another well and having the ability to trust in someone else and go, okay, maybe you're right. I don't, I don't get it. Mm. I don't know what's wrong here, but maybe you're right that something's wrong here. So let's have that conversation. Let's go down that, that path really appreciated what Caleb was saying uh, in the last episode about that difference between kind of formation and download education. Yes. Yeah. And I think that the doing the church can often become, it's the download education model of um, having someone at the front speaking out this message and hoping that we all pick up what's being said, that mm. the being's the formation and the being is the trust and the humility that formation requires and that's what this pathfinding report really encourages all of our leaders in Aotearoa to think about. Mm. Do you have the humility to mm. say, okay, maybe we've got something to learn here and maybe we need to make some changes? Do you have the, the humility to be formed in that way? One of the things that stood out in the report to me was um, they referred to marginalised groups. And I'll, I'll just I'll read just the experience part that this is we heard. We heard from some groups of people within the church who felt that they had challenges in their experience of the church, which were related to personal factors. And they go on to list them being older, being female, not being married, or identifying as LGBTQI+. And that that sense for me of these are voices that can be, well, not can be, they are, they are marginalised in our church communities. I'm wondering how those voices can be brought in to, to help us be the church and what that what that might look like and perhaps or what how, how have you experienced that in, in your church community or or in other spaces you've you've been involved in? I think one way that uh, that different voices can be brought in is when we start to hold our gatherings a little bit more lightly. So I think we hold the gathering with a lot of weight. The gathering mm. is 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 what we must hold tightly to. But what happens within the gathering, the, the teaching or yes. anything mm. that's said, we have to hold that lightly. When we hold that lightly, it's okay to let other voices in. Yes. It's one of the things that the reason I'm Baptist uh, <laughs> and some some people who are at Baptist churches might hear that and go, what? <laughs> What's the question of being Baptist? Yeah. Um, but true Baptist ecclesiology is an ecclesiology that that strongly believes in the priesthood of all believers, mm. which means that all believers have a place to, to speak and to share within their mm. churches. Not all churches embody this necessarily, but I've been so grateful for being in the community that I get to worship within that on a Sunday morning, there'll be five or six different people who speak and not just like a very, not just a brief slot, but who truly share uh, where they're at and, and what they're, thinking through and sometimes there are things you know that's not that's not me that's not where I'm at or that's not what I believe but because so many different things get said they're all held lightly instead of having one person who speaks for 40 minutes and tells you the absolute truth of the world yes. and there's no room to challenge it yes. the more voices we hear the less weight those voices get given so the easier it is to have that humility and trust and 
and to go, it's actually okay if they're wrong. It needs to be okay to be wrong and to ask yeah. questions. And we're not very good at that. <laughs> we're, we're so fearful of uh, getting it wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and yet, you know, we need to be able to encourage people that, like, like what you've been saying, that the important thing is the belonging. But if we make the beliefs and the certain beliefs and these right beliefs, then there's no place for questions. And I'm, I'm kind of wondering what it would be like if we could be able to create more space for the questioning, for someone to be able to, you know, walk up the front and say, well, I have a question about that. Um, what would it be like if we could create more spaces like that? What, what do you think? I think it's about not having fear. Mm. I think uh, when, when I was at, at the church that I was at prior to where I am now, there was a lot of fear of, well, what if, if we teach the wrong thing? And I had it myself. If we teach the wrong thing, then someone's going to get lost. They're, mm. they're off the deep end. How, how do I recover from that if I say the wrong thing? This real anxiety around mm. saying the wrong thing. And it took me a long time to realize that uh, it's not actually my job. Um, Mm. It's not my church. It's not my job to make sure that the right thing is said, to spread the absolute truth. Jesus is the truth. Mm. It's Jesus's church. It's going to be okay. Mm. We'll be fine. (laughs) We can get through this. Uh, And I think having those relationships then then helps to balance it out as well. You You can have someone who said something a little edgy and maybe you go I don't know about that but if you've got good relationship Mm. you then have the ability to challenge it as well you've got the ability to ask a question back Back. rather than just someone asking a question out of nowhere and then you're like oh no I don't know how how do we deal with this they've they've dropped this this thing and and now we've got a crisis management and and put put out all these fires of people having doubts well, actually, if you create a space within your community for people to have doubts, then there's a space for people to talk and for people to challenge. And, and maybe someone does say something strange, but you've got, you've got normal practices in place. Mm-hmm. Sometimes at our church, we'll, um, someone will be doing the, it's more like a homily than a sermon, just a, a little um, sermon slot. And someone in the moment will ask a question. Be like, no, I don't think that's right. I don't know about <laughs> well, that. Yeah. <laughs> like we're a small enough community where that's uh, that's kind of appropriate, but that's also built into our habits that we're happy for people to ask questions in those spaces. The person who's speaking from the front isn't an absolute authority. Mm. And I'm wondering too that the reason that you can offer that is because you're making, you know, the breaking of the bread and the communion mm. is the central thing. And I think the fear is, is that we'll lose belonging. But what you're saying, you, you can't lose belonging. No, nah, I, I mean, I think I've been in a lot of conversations recently with people talking about we're, we're too next for the church. What do we do? How are we going to solve save the church? <laughs> the church has existed for 2,000 years. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's okay. The, the church will be fine because it's not ours. And there's also, there are certain ways of doing church that have existed for nearly the whole 2000 years. Maybe that's where we need to be looking because our kind of neo-Pentecostal, high evangelical ways of doing church, they're pretty new. And mm. yeah, maybe they're not working. Maybe, maybe they weren't supposed to work. Maybe they're for, for a different purpose. But mm. the ways of gathering the body of Christ that have been that have existed for thousands of years, 
I think there's probably something that we can learn from them. And that doesn't mean that necessarily we need to emulate them exactly. Um, but I think those more liturgical ways of, of being community together are worth thinking about and worth engaging with. And the, centra- the centrality of food, right? Like, is it, yeah. like of actually gathering together yeah. where you can have those conversations that I guess, yeah, that in part do happen after a service, but they're not, that's just, there's this conscious separation of mm. the service and then morning tea, right? Mm. And, and yet I, th- I think there's such a beauty in this, in the centrality of this meal together, whatever, whatever form the meal takes, right? But um, where I can encounter your being and you can encounter my being and the spirit's active in, in that space, um, which that sounds wonderful. Mm. Mm. It's an ancient solution to what we might see as a new problem. Yeah. It's, maybe we've already had already got the answer. We just have to be a bit brave, don't we, to acknowledge that it's not working and that's okay, mm. and uh, and that's where the spirit is leading us, and to trust that. Mm. Mm. I was just thinking as well that the we've almost idealized the the, the early church, right? Like the. <laughs> We, we kind of look at the yeah that first kind of few verses of, of Acts 1 and they the Lord added daily to their number and yeah, 3,000 mm. people. Are, are. Well, then the rest of the New Testament is basically a bunch of arguments, right? Like as, <laughs> as people figured out how on earth we do this, yeah, this, this, yeah, in, in light of, of who Jesus is and, and who Jesus is calling us to be. How does that work now with, with the, mm. this new diversity that is, is um, marking, you know, that this, these faith communities around the world? Um, but now we can get obsessed with the, the 3,000. Yeah, again, it's a focus on numbers, right? right. It's, that church yeah. was big. We want to be big. Yeah. Let's do what they did. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's what it should be about. It's mm. what, what are the spiritual markers of health in our community? What do we yeah. want to be aspiring to? What is the church? So those are the questions that we have to be asking. What are the spiritual markers? Mm. Oh, another great questions that yeah. we need to be asking. Mm. And that might look different for different communities as well, right? Like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, another reason to love Baptist ecclesiology, right? Hmm. Uh, it's supposed to look different in different yes. places. It's not supposed to be cookie cutter yeah. because our communities are all different. Hmm. So our churches should look like the communities that we're in. It hmm. should look like the people who are gathering because the church is the gathered body of Christ. Hmm. So if it looks the same everywhere, then I'm kind of confused about who you've got coming along because you probably don't have the same people everywhere. So it shouldn't look the same everywhere. Mm. Mm. So Jamie, as we're, we're coming to the end of our time, one of the questions we like to ask uh, our guests is what's, what's one little thing that you could suggest to our listeners that they could do in their faith communities this week um, as a result of this, this conversation? I want to recommend that you read the Pathfinding Report on Arise Mm. if you haven't read it yet. And read it as if it's written to your community. Mm. There are going to be things that maybe don't quite stick because you're a different church and that's okay. But read it as if it's written to you and ask those questions. Ask the really hard questions. Mm. Take stock Mm. of your churches. It takes far more courage to admit that things are wrong than it does to just yes. keep on tracking in the, in the same way. Mm. Read that report. It's it's absolutely worth your time and encourage others to read it too. Talk to one another about it. 
use this as a moment, as an opportunity to assess your community. This is a gift for the church in Aotearoa, not a challenge, not something that we should be afraid of, a gift. Wow. And they can find a link to that in your article on the Metanoia website? Yeah, there's a link to the report on the Metanoia website. So the top article on Metanoia or maybe the second article on Metanoia, if you just go to uh, metanoianz.com, you can find that there. So before we end, just want to circle back to what we were talking about success and how we need to redefine that or rethink that. And this idealizing of numbers and uh, what looks popular. And uh, so how do we do that? How do we let that go? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's really hard. I'm not going not gonna to say there's an easy solution to this. Because how there's, there's no other easy way to know whether we're succeeding. It's mm. really easy to feel, you know, you mm. can count people as they come in in the door and then you go, oh, we had 100 people today and we only had 80 people last week. So clearly we're doing something good and you can put it on a nice graph and mm. watch that go up. It's pretty hard to do a graph of a community Mm. how how connected in people are feeling it's not an easy graph Uh, it's not easy to graph discipleship Mm. yes so i don't know if there is kind of an an easy fix to this but i think it's really important that we ask those questions Mm. the questions around what we're aspiring to and what we think the purpose of the church is if we think the purpose is to have as many people in the building as possible then obviously our expectations are going to be numerically focused. Mm. Our ideals are going to be numerically focused. Mm. Churches that we look to as mentor churches Mm. are going to be ones that are numerically bigger than our own. If our focus instead is around being the community, being the gathered body of Christ, discipling people in that way, um, then our our aspirational churches become different churches. The churches mm. that we look to might be churches that are deeply engaged in their community or that have a regular congregation where they have the same group of people mm. every week. And those become our aspirational churches. Mm. They might only have 10 people there. Mm. I think of um, the church where my mum worships, which for me is, an, is absolutely an aspirational community. Wow. And last time I preached there, there were eight people in the room. That's an aspirational community to me, though, because they're so deeply engaged in their town and and with each other. They Mm. know each other so well. They truly do gather as the body of Christ. And the spirit is absolutely in that place when they meet. Mm. Uh, And it's such a treasure to be part of. Those are aspirational communities. Yeah. It sounds like they're taking Jesus's command to love one another quite seriously. Yeah, yeah. And then that spills out. I mean, Mm. I think that if you embody that, it will just spill out into our neighbourhoods and into the conversations we have and the people around us. Yeah, and and it never has to grow. It never never has to grow. There has to be more people coming in and it's still enough. Wow. Really? Are you sorry? Are you saying sorry? I just have to ask that again. Are you saying that that's enough? That it's absolutely enough to not have more people coming in the wow. door. And I know that's a that's a really hard thing to face sometimes because that's not the way that we've talked about the church. Mm. Um, no, you've just flipped it. Is, 
our focus mm. has absolutely been on the Great Commission and, and for good reason. There's a, there's a go out into the world and make disciples, but we still have to care for the disciples that are in our communities, mm. not just be obsessed with bringing new people in. It's actually okay if it's only the people in your community, even for a season or even mm. forever. It's mm. okay. They're worth it too. And that's enough. Oh, wow. And that relieves the anxiety that you were talking oh, about in churches, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that, that message of, of, of Christ is gathering you and that is enough. That's enough. Okay. Right. Let's, let's eat. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Just feel like that in itself is probably what we want, we want to leave people with. That mm. just feels like the message that that's enough. Mm. I just kind of want to thank you for just the questions that you've brought to this. And they do inspire me and encourage me because the questions then, what you're saying is it changes our focus and it mm. changes the way we measure things. Mm. So thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Changes Ahead podcast. If that resonated with you, we'd love to hear from you. So get in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Changes Aheadcast or Twitter at Ahead Changes. See you next time.